Good morning. Welcome to The Rock Church, to um, our online streaming service. We're grateful that you joined us this morning. Um, if, you, uh, if you happen to be new with us this morning, uh, we want to say welcome. We're very thankful uh, that you've joined us this morning. We can't wait for the opportunity to meet you face to face. Uh, and we're really going to be grateful for the day when uh, things are a little bit easier for us to all gather uh, together again that'll be a day where we're gonna have a big party um, also too if you don't have our app just know that you can go into your app store um, you can type in uh, Bighorn Rock Church and you can download our app it's gonna be uh, a source of information for you um, our online giving platform is there um, it's probably our best means of communicating uh, with you. Also, too, we have a Facebook page, BighornRock.com. We have an Instagram account. We also have a YouTube channel. So check those things out um, if you haven't already. And um, let's, uh, let's start this morning with a prayer. Uh, God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this day. And Lord, we just, uh, just want to commit ourselves, our minds, our hearts, every, every part of our being to you here this morning. Lord, we pray that you teach us and guide us. Help us to, to see your word and help us to see the world around us, Lord, and help us to, to, to know better maybe what it looks like to engage with the world around us, to, to, uh, to, to bring the gospel uh, into our community. So, Lord, uh, we're thankful for, uh, for how you've loved us, for your faithfulness to us, Lord. Um, we just lift up our prayers before you, and we're so grateful that we know that you hear. And, and, and that as we pray, that uh, we, we stand in your very presence. And so, Lord, we're grateful. We, we pray that your spirit would abide in us this morning and that you would teach us and guide us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So probably one of the biggest things that... that, that the biggest hotbed topic uh, probably going around, I mean, obviously politics, but politics are part of our culture. And we live in a culture that's rapidly changing. And, and we've seen a lot, a lot of big time, drastic changes in the culture around us, especially probably in the last 15 years or so, 10 to 15 years, we've seen probably an acceleration in change that, that, that maybe we haven't seen uh, for at least a long time, or even in our recent memory, for sure. So culture, what is culture? What are we talking about when we even talk about the idea of culture? Well, Webster's Dictionary would describe culture this way. It says the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or a social group. <laughs> The set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or an organization. So your culture is the ideas that you embrace. Jesus himself entered into a culture in this world. The culture of his day was not a pretty culture. He did not come into an easy place at an easy time, nor... Uh, into a culture that was in agreement with who he was, the values that he brought, and the, the, the truth that he spoke there. As a matter of fact, Jesus came into uh, basically a Jewish and a Roman culture, right? Each one of them with their degrees of struggle, and Jesus um, really with just such genius 
and poignancy just addressed the issues and the times and gave this great demonstration to us of how we should engage culture as well. You see, in reality, we create culture. We create the culture that's around us. We create the entertainment culture. As a matter of fact, if we're offended by the entertainment culture in the world today, we have to realize that they're not selling to the people out there something that people don't want. The reality of it is, is that, is that the, the entertainment industry is a, it's a picture really of, of where we're at. It, it's kind of a barometer of our culture, of, of the world where we're at. And, and, and so what they do is they, they, they have a, a narrative of life and they begin to sell that narrative to life. And certainly that narrative isn't one that we wouldn't want to purchase. And so it's really us who creates the culture that we live in. Now, there's a number of different cultures as well. There's all kinds of subcultures within uh, culture itself. Uh, there's church culture. There's a culture at your job, at your work. There's hockey culture. There's NASCAR culture. Um, their culture deals with education, with the arts, um, with politics, and even with technology. And certainly today in these days, um, social media and technology are real drivers in the change and the cultural shifts that we're seeing in our world today. You see, as Christians, we have a really interesting and unique worldview that would tell us that the world around us is real and that culture is something that is gonna extend into eternity. In other words, that there is a culture, there's a kingdom culture that's being laid out, that's being given to us now. And that culture isn't going to end when we go into heaven. That isn't going to be a continuation and a perfection of the culture, really, that God wants to build, that kingdom culture that he wants to bring to the world around us. One of the largest religious groups today in the U.S. is those who would affiliate with the non-affiliated box. They would say that they aren't, they may be spiritual, but they're not religious. Uh, they are referred to as um, the nuns. Now, these are a group of people that uh, tend to maybe be driving a lot of the cultural shifts and the cultural morality uh, that, that is being pushed and kind of uh, foisted on people uh, today. We're going to go through this series. We're going to do some point-to-point -point stuff, and we're going to get a little bit more in-depth about specific cultural issues uh, that we're going to challenge, but those are going to be in the weeks to come. Today, we're going to talk about culture in a lot more generic terms, in a lot ge more generic ways. But imagine that we have a group of people who affiliate themselves as none, but yet they are a group of people that are foisting and pushing a moral base on, uh, on, on the world around them. Imagine um, working at Microsoft or someplace like that, but having absolutely no acknowledgement of Bill Gates. Or if Bill Gates came in, you would refer to him or think of him as kind of your personal secretary or something. This is kind of what it looks like when we have a people who um, have not affiliated themselves with a particular belief system. In other words, they're not a people who believe themselves to be under the authority of something. They believe themselves to be the authority. And it's really their opinions that they're pushing forward. When we live like that, we're forced uh, to live in this dichotomy 
of, of that the only way for me to get my opinion over on you really is by power or force ultimately, or by shaming. And we're gonna see a lot of these things that are going on really in, in the world around us. The very things that the world has hated about some of the religious community and some of the things that maybe the religious community historically has done wrong are some of the very same tactics that are going on today. <clears throat> Now, as church people, we want to make those folks the problem. We want to make them the enemy. And we need to realize and to continue to realize in the church that we do not fight against flesh and blood. That the reality of it is, is that those folks are not our enemies. As a matter of fact, they're lost. And, and God calls us as believers to have a heart for those who are lost, those who, who don't understand or who don't have a real relationship with God. See, the Bible says that, that, this, the, uh, that, that if we're, it takes spiritual discernment even to understand the things of God. So we can't expect non-Christians to behave like they are Christian. And I think a lot of times that's, we have this expectation that people in the world will begin to just live like they're Christians. So Christians, our job never changes. And this is the wonderful thing about our mission is, again, it doesn't matter if Jesus comes tomorrow or if he comes in 150 years or longer than that, our mission stays the same. Our mission is to go out and to share the good news of Jesus and what he's done. You see, our, our mission never changes. It never shifts. Culture changes, culture shifts, and these things are inevitable. And the way that we get the message out may change, that may adapt, that's changed a lot since the days of the early church, but the message never changes. The message is that we're lost, that we're separated, that we're out without hope. If it weren't but for Christ, who gave his life, who shed his blood on our behalf to substitute his life for ours, that we might be reconciled back to a holy and perfect God. So this is our message. And so as Christians, we are to go out into the world and to proclaim this, this message. And the world says, don't impose your values and your beliefs and your thoughts and your ways on everybody else. In other words, the world doesn't understand that Christianity actually belongs to all cultures. That Christianity isn't an exclusive thing for Western thought or Western mindset. Um, Many times you'll see that when missionaries go out and they go out to uh, people groups that are quite um, isolated from the rest of the world, much of the world's attitude towards that is, is don't, don't go mess with them. Don't go foist your beliefs on them. Don't go do that. And what they're saying ultimately is, is that Christianity doesn't belong to them. But what God says is that he died for the whole world, right? That he gave his only son so that whosoever would believe in him, should not perish. So Christianity belongs to all culture, but yet all culture must adapt its culture to kingdom culture. So is God looking for a homogenous culture? Is he looking to just create one culture in the world? I would say no. And I would say also that that has been a great mistake of Western missionaries. Western missionaries have believed that the, that the purpose was to go out and to make everybody European Christian. 
and, and, and they've, they've denied and disallowed cultural practices that are part of people's heritage. Um, they've told them that they needed to get rid of all of that and basically become European. And that was a, that's a bad perspective. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, there are parts of culture and parts of every culture. There were parts of my culture that needed to go, that needed to come under the lordship of Jesus, that needed to be changed, that needed to go. But God is not looking for a homogenous culture. Every culture brings strengths. He's a diverse creator. Yet every individual culture must come under a kingdom culture. That brings diversity into perfect unity. And it begins to, to match the personhood of who God is. See, the Bible tells us that heaven is going to have representation from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That heaven is going to be an incredibly diverse place. And that's going to be an amazing time, an amazing experience to be there in the midst of that. <clears throat> See, everyone has the gospel living in them. Everyone is created in God's image. Therefore, our desire for love and morality, um, to create beauty, to tell stories, to seek justice, to defend the marginalized, to do these good things is, is, is a trait that comes from having been created in the very image of God. You see, we can't help but, but tell this story. And, and apart from Christ, the, this story begins to come out in, in ways that aren't healthy. Uh, I, I'm convinced that the riots are an expression in a twisted way of, of the gospel. It's this understanding that if there's been injustice, then, then there has to be payment for injustice. And that, and that, that payment either looks like like people and lives, or it looks like property, but something has to step in. Something has to pay the penalty for that to make that right. You see, it's only in Christ that the gospel brings injustice into a place of forgiveness. And from forgiveness, we can begin to move forward. Each and every person on the globe, to some degrees, has this idea of a morality. Basically, the Ten Commandments are an expression of who God is. And because we're created in this image of God, we understand a basic and fundamental morality. And what we'll see is that the, is that the issues that we're facing, the cultural issues, are bound up in a type of a morality. A morality that is brought about apart from God, apart from God's authority, apart from God's instruction. And therefore, they become a, a, a twisted morality that really uh, doesn't bring the goodness and the wholeness and the balance that God's morality brings to us uh, and so how, how is it that we're going to engage the world around us? How do we do that? How do we, how do we be in this world, but not of the world? And that's exactly what we're called to do. You see, Romans 12, 2 says that we uh, are to be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by the, by, by the, be transformed, should I say, by the renewing of our mind. 
You see, God tells us that, that we basically need our, our minds renewed. We need to bring our individual culture under His headship, allow Him to, to do the work in our lives, to recreate us into a new creation, and then to realize that you and I were saved and left here to do the re redemptive work in the renewal of God's creation. That there is redemptive work that God wants you and I to participate in as He renews His creation, as He draws people to Himself. God's people are here to uh, fulfill a commission, a mission with God um, into this world around, to have a hope and to share a hope with the world around us. So, there's a lot of angry people out there in the world today. And what we can't do as Christians is match their anger. We have to understand this. We have to understand that angry people are hurting people. And we also have to understand that everybody out there has a story. So when you meet somebody and they're, they're angry and they're angry at God or they're angry at other people, you got to understand that there's a story behind that. That, that, that people aren't just out there um, being angry and hateful generally just for the sake of that. It generally has roots somewhere. And, and when we begin to operate as a people with empathy and we begin to respond with grace, it, it has a way of diffusing that anger. You see, what the church has to become is we have to become this, this group of people who are loving the world so well that the world can't bring accusation against us. They can't say, well, they're just judgmental or they're a bunch of haters because our actions show something that's very different than that because our actions line up in a different way and demonstrate to the world that we do care, that we are there for people. We need to find points of common ground with people. And I think that as, as believers, we have to start off and understand that when we're dealing with or we're talking to people in our culture that aren't believers, that we need to understand that the Bible isn't their authority. Now, ultimately, that's, that's the hope that we have is that they would, they would come and that the Bible would, would become their authority. But that's not the case. And, and Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he, he was dealing with the, the Greeks and he, he found this point of common ground where he said, look, I was walking up here and I, and I, and I found this, this monument that you'd made to this unknown God. And, and, and so in this sense, he said, I, I see what you are doing and I see kind of the heart that you have, that you have a heart that says that you wouldn't want to miss God that's out there. You, you would want to know him if you're just happening to miss him. And, and so guess what? I have a great message for you. I, I'm here to proclaim to you who that God is, the one that you don't know. But you see, the first thing that he did was he found something that they did and he found a point of common ground. He didn't just go out there and just start beating on them, uh, you know, w with, with a Bible or something. He, he found some common ground and he began a conversation with them. And, and this is something that we've got to do. We've got to, we've got to become a people that are able to have reasonable and intelligent conversations with the world around us. We need to begin to talk about what we're for and why we're for the good things that we're for. Why is it that we stand for principles that come from the Bible? And why do we believe that those principles are there 
for everyone's flourishing. We've got to love our enemy. And I think that sometimes that's, that's just the toughest thing. And that's the place where love really demonstrates, I guess that's where the rubber hits the road on love, isn't it? If we can love our enemy, if we can love those who don't love us, this is a demonstration of the love that Christ had for us, right? Because while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to fall in love with him. He didn't wait for us to to get good. He did the thing for us that we couldn't do because he loved us. Even while we were yet still the enemy of God, his word says. So we, we have to demonstrate the love of Christ to the world out there that doesn't know this. We have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. This is in, in 1 Peter 3.15. And it says this, it says... Um, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You know, God calls us to walk in humility in these areas, recognizing the reality that we once too were separate from God. We once too were the enemy of God. We once too walked in the ignorance and the culture that we were wrapped up in. We once too were deceived by the deceiver and it was only because we came to know Christ that anything changed in our lives. Therefore, we have nothing to boast about. It's been given to us as a gift and then we've been given a stewardship to follow through with. So where does renewal begin? I'm going to hold that renewal begins in the church how we do our work, how we deal with our finances, our marriages, how we parent, how we love others, how we do community. All of these things are going to be a demonstration of the reality that we know Jesus and that we're authentic followers of him. See, when when Christians don't do those things, when we fall short in those areas, um, we demonstrate to the world, oh, there's another one that claims to follow Jesus, but yet does this or does that or, or, uh, see, it begins with us. It begins within the church. There's a call for the church to be the church, to, to stand in, um, in harmony with God for the world out there, not against the world, for them. We, we, again, we have to remember that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're called to intercede, to be in there. See, Del Tackett in the Truth Project, he said, look, nobody went into Kansas, into the middle of Kansas, and opened up a box of darkness. And then it just all the darkness came streaming out. See, the reality of light and dark is that light always wins. Light always illuminates what's dark. And so if there's darkness, it's not because darkness is taking over. It's because light isn't shining. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 15 say, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
if it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're called to be salt. And salt is something that uniquely flavors food. It has a unique taste to it, a different taste. One that when we taste it, we know that we're tasting salt. But if that taste isn't there and it doesn't season that food or if Christians in this sense aren't seasoning our culture in a way that is uniquely Christian and stands out in contrast to the morality of the culture, then there's no difference between those two. And Jesus says, what good? You, 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 lost, you lost the reason that you're here. You forgot about why you're here. So, so what good is your presence here if you're not fulfilling your purpose? And another thing about salt is that it preserves. It preserves meat. It was a preservative. And so we're called to be a unique flavor within our culture and a preservative within our culture as well. Preserving God's values into the culture around us. Again, not to voice our beliefs or our thoughts on other people, but understanding and knowing that everyone flourishes under God's principles. We're called to be light, light in the world. A city set on a hill and a city set on a hill represents security. It, it, it's a rampart. It's, it's, it's a fortress. It, it, it's set on a hill and it can't easily be sieged. It's a safe place. You see, we're called to be a city set on a hill. We're called to be a safe place. We're called to be a refuge. We're called to be um, a fortress and a buttress for those who need protection, for those who need a safe place to come. Our churches need to be that. Our churches need to be an inviting place in which the world knows and understands that that's the obvious place that I can go and I can find some help. The big question is, does the world see us in those terms? Um, does culture see the church in those terms? Has church culture done a good job of conveying that message to the world around us? Second Corinthians 5. Verses 18 through 19 says this. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, this is kingdom culture. This is the culture that we are to be bringing out into the world around us. You see, the, the, the word is what he has given us. He has committed to us the word, the word of reconciliation. 
And what is the word? Well, the word biblically is a seed. God's word is portrayed as being a seed. Luke 13, 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should, I, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. What an interesting thing, this idea of seed, and what an interesting concept, this idea of being a vine dresser or a gardener or a caretaker and saying, I'm going to amend the soil here. Wait a minute. Don't cut it down yet. Let me do some work here. Let me amend this. Let me, let me pour into this a bit. You see, this is what church culture and kingdom culture are supposed to do. We're supposed to be amending the soil in the world around us, in our communities. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be going in and where the, the soil is bad and fruit it, production isn't happening, we're to be going in and amending the soil. We're meant to be going in and gardening and, and planting seeds, trusting and knowing that it's God who makes seeds grow. The mustard seed. Matthew 13, 31 and 32 says, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It was a small thing. You see, sometimes I think we get caught up in the idea that I have to do big things. If I'm not doing big things, then I'm not really doing anything. That the kingdom things would only be big things. And since I'm not doing big things, they don't count. But that doesn't match up to how God really operates. See, from an obscure place on earth next to the Sea of Galilee in what should have faded into absolute obscurity, God entered into the world and changed the world. And he changed it forever through this little thing, a baby born into this world. And this, this parable here says that even if you take the smallest of seed and you begin to sow it into your field, your field of influence, your, your whatever God has put in front of you, whatever work that he's called you to do, if you'll be faithful to plant in that, if you'll be faithful to pour into the culture around you, that, that something much bigger than what you imagined will grow up. That instead of just getting a little plant, you, you, you'll get a whole tree. And not only will you find some, uh, some shade, some rest in it, others will too. You see, culture and cultivate come from the same word. See, we started as gardeners. God put us in a garden. And our job was to cultivate, to, to tend that garden. And, and, and we are still a people who are called to amend soil, to pull out the potential for fruit 
out of the fields around us. Understanding and knowing that we're to groom and to prepare soil, that we're to improve it, and that we're to wait and one day reap the benefits of a harvest. See, we're called to be gardeners and we're to garden the world around us. How exciting it is to have been given a mission to participate in saving the world, in bringing a kingdom culture into the world around us, not standing against the world around us, but standing for them, helping everyone to understand in peace, uh, patience, and grace that God's principles, that His culture creates a place and an environment where everyone can flourish. So what gardening maybe do you have to do? Gardening is an interesting thing. It's really about pulling weeds and planting seeds, right? So in our own lives and in the places around us and where we have opportunities, we want to to pull weeds. We want to pull things that are going to choke good things out. And we also want to plant seeds. We want to be planting good seeds. See, God's word also tells us about that that one day that, that it says, don't be fooled, God's not mocked. From whatever we sow out of this one day, we'll reap, basically. That, that, in other words, the seeds we're throwing today have everything to do to determine the future. And so when we don't like the cultures around us, we don't like what we're seeing or what's coming our way or the changes that are happening or the direction that things are going, remember that God has called the church to be the change agent of culture around us. That, that Jesus brings every culture into a place of unity. And even though it may hold on to aspects of diversity, he brings it into a place of unity. And it becomes a place, again, where all people and their potential is best seen and brought about. So, the prayer this week is, is, how's your gardening going? Are you gardening? Have you, have you planted? Have you, have you, are you preparing soil? Are you thinking about it? Because a lot of times gardening is an ongoing effort, right? Especially here in a place like Wyoming where we have a short growing season. Our gardening is about over with this year, right? But that doesn't mean that we're not preparing soil for next spring. It doesn't mean that we're not amending soil and, 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 and putting things into the dirt now so that when spring comes, we'll yield a better crop. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you are the one who causes all seeds to grow and that we don't have that responsibility. It's not on us whether a seed grows or not, but it certainly is the call on our lives to plant seeds. So Lord, we pray that we would be about kingdom culture. Lord, and as we study culture and we look into culture and we kind of press into some of these more difficult issues of our day, Lord, pray you be with us, that you would reveal to us your truth, that you would help us to see things as you see things and help us to know and understand that that you call us to... to, uh, 
to good things for our freedom, that you purchased freedom for us. And, and Lord, that your desire is that we would hold on to that freedom, that we wouldn't live in any kind of bondage as a world, as a people, as individuals, but that we would live in the freedom that you, that you purchased for us, that you intend for us and for your, for your people to live in. So Lord, we just know that in the world around us, there's a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of angry people. There's a lot of stuff going on. And there's a lot of stuff that's just not all right. So Lord, we pray that you help us to have a, a heart for our community. Help us to be peacemakers, Lord, world changers. Help us to be excited about the reality of that you've given us a, this secret mission, a mission, a ministry of reconciliation. And it's, it's like we're, uh, we're in the middle of a Marvel movie with the opportunity to, to help save the world. So Lord, help us that we wouldn't take it lightly, that we wouldn't be caught up in everything else, but help us, Lord, to seek your kingdom first. Lord, we just ask that your kingdom would come here and that your will would be done, not ours, because we know, Lord, that yours is better, that it's higher, that it's good. So Lord, we just commit it to you. Lord, we commit our lives to you. We ask that you be Lord of every aspect. Lord, reveal to us any place that we've petitioned you off that we won't allow you in. Lord, we pray um, that if there's any brokenness and unhealed spot, Lord, that we'd allow you to come in and do a work there. Lord, and we pray that you just be Lord of all. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to fulfill the unique work that you have for each one of us this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I hope you're blessed this week. I hope you ponder and think about these things. Think about the concept and the idea of some gardening, right? And then think about and look into the world around you and say, man, what seeds could I plant now that might bear fruit a little bit later? God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.